Dude, your head, your hair is looking especially quaffed today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. How do you get it to do that? Do you uh, blow dry it? Okay, literally, he's been six hours. So he got up at three in the morning this morning. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah. Wake up every day and do my hair. Wait, hold on. Tim had a crush. I know. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, where Pastor Matt Brown gives real answers to your tough questions from the Bible. I am Stephanie Schaefer. And I am Tim Dog Millionaire. Who is wearing the most horrific shirt yeah. in all Tim creation. Tim busted out his summer shirt today. Okay. Yes. His shirt is terrible, but his hair is fabulous. His <laughs> I hair say the shirt's pretty fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> his hair, for those of you who are listening, his hair looks like a lion's mane. Thank like he you. is on Pride Rock, ready to roar. Yes. Yeah. Ready to rock, I'd say. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. If you guys aren't watching us on YouTube yet, hopefully this little bit has just inspired you to just go check it out for just a second so you can see the majesty that is this shirt. If you are having trouble getting in the summer spirit yet, I think this shirt's going to turn that around for you. It will take you so. to the throne room of praise. I think this is going to be an epic episode. Uh, epic I feel it. It might because be epic never event. before have I apologized to you. I know. Whoa. It was a first. Moments ago. Guys, moments it happened. I received my first apology from yes. Pastor Matt Brown himself. Mm-hmm. You said you were wrong. I did. And I was. And, and that, I, that yeah. doesn't happen. That it often. doesn't. I'm, I'm going to do a minute does, of it. When it does. I apologize. You own well, it. Thank you. I yes. received it. I've yes. forgiven you. I know. We've got a path forward. Whoa. So I think we're going to be okay. We're not just doing the debrief. We're living it. We're mm. living it out. Yeah. You repented. Mm. Our relationship is better yeah. because of it. Wow. Yeah. So we I got that it. going for us today, folks. Well, today on this week's episode, we are answering the question, why? More Whoa. specifically, things like why bad things happen to good people and why a perfect God would allow imperfection to exist. So we've gotten a lot of great questions over the past couple of months that have been in the really big why questions. So we wanted to dedicate a whole episode to just answering those questions. So we're going to dive right on in. Yeah. This one comes from Jillian. She says, I know God exists. I know he created us. I know Jesus died for our sins. I know I am full of sin and must do all I can to honor and love God every day of my life. But my question is why, why did God make such beauty in the world? Knowing so much bad would work to destroy it. Why did God allow imperfection to enter the picture? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, imperfection is the result of freedom. So God is love, according to John. So what is love? Love is a uh, uh, the quality of God that we understand that best describes him. So love is something that demands choice. Like for example, um, Stephanie, and I'll just say this to you because it's less awkward than if I say it to Tim. Thank you. But if I could make you love me, like I was like, Stephanie, you will love me. And I literally could make you like, love me. Like, mm-hmm. this is gross. Like, a love slave. Going with it you. would have been more, less awkward. Maybe yeah, you could turn it for me. So, if you right? Okay, yeah. but, but if you did, is it really love? No. No, it's not. Love demands choice. Mm. So, within that context, for God to be love and for us to experience that love, it must be experienced within a context. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love does not demand its own way. And that's what God is doing. God is giving us a choice. So in order for there to be the choice to choose that which is perfect, God, there must be the choice to choose which that is imperfect, which is sin, evil, and darkness. And so those are laid out before us. So from the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, when there is no sin, there is no imperfection, everything is perfect. Adam and Eve choose to be disobedient because there must be the choice to be disobedient for there to really be the choice to be obedient. Mm. You have to have both. Um, and, and and that's just the reality. And so, you know, everybody wants God to take away everybody else's bad choices, but the truth is none of us want him to take away ours. And so what we do is we, the question really is not God, why, why do you not keep me from making bad choices? The question is God, why don't you keep others from making bad choices that negatively affect me? Mm. So that's really what we, I mean, if, if you really want to just nail down to the deepest level, the real question is disappointment with the choices of others. And so it's oftentimes very, very hard to blame others. And so ultimately we get mad at God for giving us the choice in the first place when what we should do in response to the choice is not hate God or question him, but love him. Because he, he, he is not a forceful lover. He invites us to be loved. And we choose to enter in that, in uh, a relationship with him on earth, uh, now and forever. Or we choose to reject him on mm. earth and pursue other things that are, uh, you know, uh, enjoyable, occasionally meaningful, but are not eternal. 
and we choose to reject him now and ultimately forever. So what hell is, is the consequence for rejecting God. So God, and so part of the reason, so this is a whole other question is, is, you know, she, she said, I know there's a God, mm-hmm. I know whatever. So it'd be interesting to see if we really kind of buckled down on that to find out if she really knows that. Because I really say what we mean to say is I believe, um, mm-hmm. or I've experienced things that have led me to believe that God is true. But knowledge uh, in, in the true sense of the word is something that will only be fulfilled in the end. So she's probably questioning that a little bit mm-hmm. because it, it seems somewhat difficult to know that there's a good loving God and yet to know that there's evil hardship and difficulties in life. And right. those two things really seem to contradict the good God that we believe in. And the reality is, his goodness and because of who he is and his kindness and gentleness is actually why there are all of these awful things in life because he allows us to choose. He tells us not, I mean, right? I mean, what did he say in the garden? Don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was only one thing, but even that, so so why did Adam and Eve choose? There's something in us that's not satiated. We're not, that's a big word, not satisfied. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like car crashing because they don't right. know what that word is. So to looked it up really quick. You know, to be insatiable is to never be satisfied, which is a human quality. So it's part of the reason in this series on happiness that we're never happy because nothing can ever fully make you happy. And that's to, I think, God's gift to us to let us know that there's something more. But even when things were perfect, human nature is to be insatiable. So we constantly want more. And ultimately when those wants and desires are out of control, not reasonable, in fantasy land, we're very, very disappointed with life, with uh, relationships, husbands, wives, or kids. You know, uh, those things often are the thief of joy, not the creator of joy. And so we have to be very, very careful. Um, I think I said in last week's episode that expectations are the enemy of happiness. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we, we think that's what I want. And even if I get it, I'm not happy because I expected it. And then if it doesn't happen, I'm disappointed. So either way, it robs me of joy. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we have to be very, very careful with expectations to make sure that they're in light. So that's a great, great question. Um, but God is love and he allows us to choose. Um, and, and so and so we have that choice and, mm-hmm. and we can enter into that relationship with God or we can reject him in who he is. And so mm-hmm. um, what's amazing about God is that he offers himself to us, even though we reject, deny, and act like he doesn't exist. I mean, imagine a parent whose existence is denied by their children that continues to love and provide mm. and take care of us because God continues to do that. We still have a home, maybe not a house. We have a home, it's called earth. We still have food. Now people may not share it with you, but there's enough food on the earth to fix, to feed the population six times over. Think about that, mm. right? If God's so loving, why do people starve? It ain't a God problem. It's people. People are hoarding. People are, you know, yeah. it's it's right. Um, and the truth is we live in a very, very fallen world. So, um, God is good and those things are true. And I would encourage you to work through those things. But, you know, if you take away choice, man, you, you have a very unloving God because, and this is one of the differences between Islam's understanding of God and Christianity. And even in some ways, Judaism's understanding of God, because Jesus references God as father in a personal way, which makes people very, very offended. But that's what we believe as Christians is that God relates to us in a personal way. We are not just servants or slaves, as Paul says, but we are sons and daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. Whereas Islam, what does it mean? It means fully submitted one. So Allah is master and a Muslim is servant, which there's there's nothing totally inappropriate about that. I think a lot more Christians need to understand and relate to God Mm -hmm. that way. The problem is as Christians, not only are we the servant of God, but we are the son and daughter of the King and we are heirs of the kingdom of God. And he is the sharer of all good things with us. So he doesn't just call us as servants, but he loves us as children. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus says, I have called you friends and greater love hath no friend than he who lay down his life for a friend. That's what Jesus says. And what does he ultimately do? He lays down his life for us. Mm-hmm. So God, what God ultimately wants is a relationship that begins at salvation, continues through life and is perfected in eternity. That's what the goal is. And so we have to choose that. And even, you know, um, anyways, that's a whole other topic. But go <laughs> yeah, ahead. No, yeah, great, great question. You're rolling. Yeah. yeah. Well, this next question uh, from Anonymous, I think is you were starting to allude to this question some is, you know, what's the best? And she asks, is, um, I don't know why I assumed it's a she. Could be a he, anonymous. I'm a girl. I'm going to assume it's a she. <laughs> what is the best way to explain the problem of pain and suffering to someone new to Christianity who doesn't understand why bad things happen to good people? Yeah, sure. 
Well, I mean, so there, there's a there's there's a logical fallacy there is that we understand good as in supremely good, and no human being is supremely good. So mm-hmm. Jesus teaches that. That doesn't mean that we're all evil. I don't like that explanation either. There is a reflection of God's goodness in every single human being. Um, maybe not in every single human being, but in most. Some people have given themselves so much over to a life of evil that uh, goodness is quite questionable. So. Um, um, and uh, oftentimes these debates are not helpful in uh, philosophical terms where we talk in general, but specific terms where we talk about people. And so like a sociopath, it's really hard to see goodness in them because there's, there isn't there. And so people do things that where if there was any amount of good or trace of good, it would not happen. So, so anyways, again, you can argue it in philosophical terms or what I would rather do practical terms where we get personal and we deal with one-on-one situations rather than stereotypes or overgeneralizations. So I would say this, that, um, you know, there's a great book written by C.S. Lewis and it's The Problem of Pain. I would encourage you to read it, go there. He deals with it in great detail. Um, And ultimately, um, pain is something that produces greatness in us. Now, there's some pain that doesn't produce greatness. It produces death and suffering and, and torture and awful. And that goes back to the previous question, which is, why does God allow that? And the answer is free choice. So a great, great uh, chapter of the Bible to read if you're wrestling through this is Romans 8. I say it this way, when life's not great, read Romans 8. Hey. Because Romans 8 talks about just this horrendous aspect of living under a cursed earth, uh, a cursed humanity, and, and that's where we live. Now, Jesus Christ um, heals us of the ultimate curse, which is eternal damnation, but we still experience the physical curse of that, which is we all die. We all suffer. Mm. Things go bad. You know, if an airplane goes down, not just the non-Christians die. Everybody dies on the plane. And so that's one of those really, really difficult things. So here's the promise, Romans 8, 28. God uses all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I know that no matter what I go through, and I can ask God to avert suffering. Jesus did it, right? Mm. Jesus is my model. He's the perfecter of my faith. Jesus asked that suffering would be averted, ultimately suffering on the cross. So I can ask that, God, remove this cup from me. God, take this suffering from me. Uh, I, can, I can request that. And God may relent. He may, he may heal. He may answer that prayer. Or he may allow. And so understand what asking for the removal of pain is asking God to circumnavigate the natural consequences of living on a cursed earth. Mm. So when you read Romans 8, it makes it clear that God ultimately is responsible for holding us accountable and the earth and all creation in it for the rejection of him and obedience to him. And so there's a curse in that. Now he will do that so that when you read Romans eight, he can be magnified and glorified on the other end for all the good that he's gonna bring out in that. So in this life, there's not always a benefit to suffering. Some things don't make sense. I don't know why a mother of young children dies. I don't know why uh, a faithful, loving husband loses his wife who commits adultery and calls herself a Christian. I don't know why those things happen. Uh, I don't know why there's terrible, awful, ugly abuse. I, I don't have all of the answers to that. So I can't put my faith in circumstance. I must put my faith in God. And I must mm. trust that in the midst of this, God's gonna get me through it and it's gonna be okay. Now, having said that, I also trust that God wants me to experience joy in this life, love in this life. And regardless of what happens to me, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a joy that's deeper than simply my circumstances that I experience. And so um, I think that's really, really important. So that's a great, great question. I would read C.S. Lewis's book. Mm. Uh, We'll make sure that we make that available in the notes, but it's just C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. And again, I've said it over and over again, I think pain and suffering provides contrast, just like a woman in labor experiences pain uh, in birthing the child, but that quickly is lost with the birth of a new child. Mm. And so that's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so um, that's just a great example of how out of suffering comes joy, deep, Mm -hmm. deep, beautiful joy. And so we have to trust that in God, all things are used for good. If you're not in God, that promise does not apply to you. If you are not a Christian, sometimes crap is just crap and right. it's just rough and it's just hard mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense. And there isn't a deeper meaning. One of the values that I think will lead to joy is a value called depth. Try to be a deep person. Try to think deeply about things. Try to learn. And a, a lot of the reason why pain is so insurmountable for many of us is we never spend any time spending, you know, thinking. We're just constantly running from one fun experience to another. 
And um, I think children equate happiness with fun. Like I'm gonna do fun things where I as an adult equate happiness with meaning. Mm. I want to do meaningful things. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think that that's the definition of maturity. And you need to quickly acclimate that because one day you won't be able to do all the fun things that you always wanted to do because mm. physically you're unable. So we have to find a depth of meaning that is, you know, beyond that. So um, great, great question. Um, it, it's just one of those classic struggles. And, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people ask this question, if God is good, why is there suffering? And, and my question is, is why is there anything good? I mean, if there is no God and there is, why, why do we have all these good things? Why is there love? Why is there hope? Why is there song? Why mm -hmm. is there joy? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think people often ask the wrong questions because people are pretty happy when they're you know, satisfied mm -hmm. with life and they're pretty unhappy when they're, they believe life is supposed to bring them happiness. So yeah. um, I, I think you can ask both questions. So thank you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Next one coming in from Jenna. She asks, on the topic of happiness, why does misery love company? Why are we attracted to bad news and negativity in general? Right. So I would say this way. Angry is easy. Happiness is hard. It's easier to Boom. be angry. It's easy to be bitter. Mm -hmm. It's easier to be a victim, yeah. right? Why? Because then you're not responsible. Mm -hmm. And um, we live in a victim culture. Um, I mean, it happens all the time. We identify ethnically with a people who have historically been ethnically mistreated. And so therefore I am hurt, wounded, and whatever, even if maybe I haven't had those experiences myself personally. Um, so I, I identify with that. And we have to be very, very careful because our culture loves this idea of victimization. And we just have to be really, really careful uh, because you're never gonna be happy when you're a victim um, because it's easy. It's, it's easier to blame everybody else. It's really, really hard to say, okay, I've made some bad choices in my life and I need to be different and change. But I believe that much of happiness is a choice. And sometimes it's simply choosing to pull your life out of fantasy and step back into reality and say, okay, you know, if, if, if I can't afford a Lamborghini, what car could bring me joy? And then, I, then, you know, then you have to ask, you know, is it the type of car or is it the transportation? I mean, there's, you need to walk that back. We talked about last week that you really need to make a list of what you think you, will make you happy. And then you got to check yourself morally and spiritually. Are those things on God list, God's list or are they on my list? And so for a lot of guys, you know, uh, a lot of guys and gals out there are single and they wanna be married. Um, and uh, I think the reality is their lists are superficial. Their lists are based in fantasy and not in reality. And, um, you, you, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people disqualify a very, very great spouse. And again, we talked about last week, that language of the perfect, per that doesn't exist. There is no perfect person. Um, you know, if you, if you want the idea of soulmate, it doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from the book of Tobit, which is found in, uh, the apocryphal writings of, of the intertestamental period between the end of, uh, the Jewish writings that we call the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the Christian writings, which we call the New Testament. So in the book of Tobit, there's this guy who, uh, meets this angel named Raphael and Raphael has this perfect woman for her. And so it's this whole idea of soulmate. And it's ultimately, it's not canonized by scripture. And that's why you guys have probably never heard of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am a boring person and love to read stuff. So I've read it. You're not uh, boring. Interesting, no, thank you. No. Interesting tale. <laughs> but uh, that's where the whole, this whole idea of soulmate comes mm. from. And uh, so ultimately it was not accepted as uh, scripture. It was, you know, it's, it's a neat writing. It's Jewish poetry. I think it tells a story of faithfulness. It's allegorical, but... Mm. Ultimately, it's not something that we can say, okay, that's the word of God. And so there's, there's a perfect person. There's, there, I think it's really dangerous to say there's one person that's out there for me. And so, um, you know, again, read Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, men and women, if you're single, it talks about things to look for that no one else notices. Mm -hmm. You know, um, right? So, so most guys, I mean, I, I just know that when I was a young man, you know, my category was, you know, she's got to be hot, which is a really dangerous category to... <laughs> you know, base your whole life on. And, and, and Tammy was certainly met that category. Thank God she turned out to be a good mom, a faithful wife, mm. a hard worker, uh, very neat, very clean. I mean, like, but those were not, <laughs> those were not on my list when I was 20 years old. I was like, oh, that's a good looking girl. I'm gonna go talk to her. Yeah. So you really, really need to be careful. And that's why Proverbs 31 is written from a father to a young son. He says, hey, don't look for women like everybody else. I want you to consider a different list. So you need to check that, you know, your list versus maybe God's list and then submit that to a community and say, okay, you know, what are these things? And so, um, you know, you don't have to have the perfect job, but can you have a job that you enjoy? Can you, 
Can, can you like it? Can you learn to love it? Can you love the things that the job allows you to do? So, wow, that was... No, that's good. No, that's good stuff. How would you kind of say, like, for those who are maybe naturally bent toward pessimism, like they're just going to naturally be the type of person who's going to say that, how do you work like out of that and kind of fight against that to maybe start looking for the positive things? Yeah, there? so Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, you know, I want you to remember one final thing, whatever's good, honorable, true, focus on these things. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So if I am a negative person, I must obey the command of Paul mm. to focus on that which is positive. That's the only way. The only way to change your feelings is to change your thinking. That's it. Ooh. That's the only way. So you have you have to address your mind because, you know, so one of the most difficult things with our hearts is addressing our mind because if our mind is thinking wrong, our heart's going to feel wrong. And so we have to step back and think critically, okay, is this ridiculous? And because I hear people say all the time, I don't have any friends and they have six friends. Okay. You don't have no, so well, maybe you don't, you don't enjoy the depths of your friendship. Okay, let's talk. So now we need to talk about not having friends, but how do we uh, get deeper friendships? Mm. How do we get more meaningful friendships? Um, what are your so, expectations? Yeah, what are your expectations of friendships? And so I think a lot of people want great friends, but are not great friends. Mm. And so oftentimes the really the the reality is you don't have great friends because you're not a great friend. Mm. So and that's not to make you go you know sit in the closet and cry all night. That's to say, okay, I need to be. I need to improve at friendship. We're all relationally broken. I need to be a better friend. Okay, I want to do that. And, and that's apologizing. Just like the conversation you and I began with, you said, you said, oh, you had never done that. I was like, oh, really? Wow, I'm sorry. You know, because, um, you know, that's something, there was something stupid that I, that I hadn't done. And I just need to do that. I need to own that. But I'm always learning. And um, mm. I need to be evaluating that. And oftentimes people that don't evaluate their lives are very lonely people. And, um, and if you don't evaluate your life, you could be living your life for the wrong standard. And if people can't meet your standard, you're never going to be in relationship. Mm. And so, um, this is, you know, people, people that come in and out of Sandals church, I mean, like, right. Christians are herd people. They just move from church to church to church, constantly looking for the perfect church. Guess what? It's not there. And if it was, they wouldn't let you in. So find a good church that preaches the doctrine that is healthy mm. and stay there and serve. Yeah. You know, just don't leave. I mean, yeah. just just try to stay there and hang in there and be as happy as you possibly can with the church that you have. But, um, you know, disfattis, disfattis, dissatisfaction is usually a you problem. Mm. It's usually not your circumstances. It's just, okay, I need to, um, like if I'm dissatisfied in my marriage, I would say nine times out of 10, it's a me issue. 10% of the time, it's Tammy. Yeah. But I always, if I, if I just went by my feelings, my feelings would say 90% is Tammy. 10% is me. Mm -hmm. So I need to check myself and reevaluate. And, um, you know, I think about uh, an argument that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, we were at the gym and I, I asked her, hey, what's wrong with you? Well, I shouldn't have asked that because I didn't want to know what was wrong with her. So she answered it. Well, I did, and I didn't know that I didn't want to know until she answered it. Right. Mm -hmm. So then she answers it. So then I'm all frustrated with her because of her answer of which I asked for. Right, right. So then I'm driving home, right? And I'm, and I'm running through my mind all the ways that she's ridiculous. Why? Because my feelings are out of control. Then, because we're driving in separate cars on the way home, then I have to talk to myself. Well, and, and she had some valid points and I had blown it, but mm -hmm. it was my mind that had to speak to my heart. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's why it's so dangerous. You, you think about your heart and, and a wife will say, I don't feel loved by my husband because he doesn't do A, B, C, D. Mm -hmm. But what she doesn't want to talk about is he does E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O. And so we don't focus on everything mm -hmm. that, you know, is happening. We focus on on how we're feeling, and um, we, we just got. We've got to be positive people. We've got to be positive people. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, this was probably 15 years ago. My wife was uh, giving me a list of things that she didn't like about me in our marriage, and I just said to her, "I said, well, do you think that I like everything about you?" And I, I mean, you would have thought I just solved, you know, the equation of space time travel. I mean, mm. she, she just was like, she literally goes, she goes, I'd never thought of that. Because mm. what she was focused on is my husband's not meeting my needs. And the reality is none of us are perfect spouses. Mm. None of us perfectly meet the needs. And A, I'm not a woman. B, I'm not perfect. I can't read minds. I mean, right. So all of those things are challenges in every relationship. And so we just have to actually think, okay, so if I'm feeling negative about a person, well, there's probably some things that I do that bother them too. I guarantee you there are, every single one mm. of us. Um, but, and, and some of those are real and some of those are just people's issues. And so we just need to work through that. So you have to use your mind, 
right? And, and again, I said in church two weeks ago, some of you feel like God doesn't love you. Some of you feel like God is not there. Those are both lies, but you yeah. may feel that way. So yeah. I can't say that you're not feeling that way, but the Bible says your feelings are wrong. God is here and he does love you. Mm. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you on the cross as proof. So, right, that's the fact. And, and, and some of us, let's, let's be really careful. Some of us want to jump on our, our, our friends or our spouses, maybe that are uh, overly emotional. Here's the scientific evidence. Science says that human beings are incapable of making any decision or thought without emotion. Emotion is attached to everything we do. Mm. So even if you're a super nerdy science math person, you make decisions based upon feelings. This is why scientists look at global warming and don't agree. They, because they, they're not just looking at facts, mm -hmm. they're processing feelings. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that's the great lie of modern science is that we, we can simply be reasonable and logical. Right, right. And uh, you know, you're not Spock. So for all my Star yeah. Trek lovers, oh, right? Oh man. Yeah. He's a great guy. Have a feeling, man. Come on. I love, I love. <laughs> I'm Star a doctor, Trek. not a miracle worker. Yeah, dude, so good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's surprisingly never watched it. I know my yeah. dad watched it, so I like know about it in the background. But oh my gosh, but so good. Stephanie caught up. She was in the Captain Picard era. That's oh, where yeah. Stephanie oh, yeah, watched yeah, the yeah. Next yeah. Generation. She wasn't. She wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I just remember the, my dad talking about. Oh, it's John Luke Picard. Every yep. time she, he sees uh, Patrick Stewart, anyway. <laughs> I know. She, oh, it's John Luke Picard. The, arguably the best captain. I, okay, I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, again, I you're agree. looking at me That's like, so don't you agree? Um, no. Yes, he, he was so. Good. He was so good. So good. He was a great leader. He was a fantastic leader. Well, you know why? Because you're not distracted by the amazing good looks of the first Captain Kirk. Fair, fair. The guy was a giant among models. William William had a heyday back then. Yeah, he, he did. was doing well for himself. Yeah. Th th later in life, yeah, you he's know. not aged well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you, Mr. Shatner. Well, moving on. Uh, he, he listens probably. By the way, William yeah, Shatner yeah. probably listens yeah. to yeah. debrief. Oh, so. When he's yeah. not getting us great deals on travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. That's a good turn. Uh, if you're out there, William, we're, we're really glad you're yeah, listening. Yeah, William, thanks. <laughs> All right, this next question comes in from Brittany. And she says, I heard a rumor that celebrating Christmas in December came from a pagan holiday and that Chris Christians didn't actually celebrate Christmas until it was initi initiated by Emperor Constantine around 336 AD. Mm. If this is true, why do we celebrate Christmas in December? I take my faith seriously and want to make sure that I'm worshiping Jesus and not participating in any form of pagan worship. Yeah, so... <laughs> Brittany is a historian. Yeah, Brittany... <laughs> I'm sorry that Christians love to suck joy out of everything. <laughs> You're right. Your, your, your friends are right. It was uh, probably not December 25th that was a holiday. It was probably mm. December 21st, which is the winter solstice, oh. as opposed to, uh, I think it's June 21st, which is summer solstice, which were pagan holidays that were celebrated in ancient times. Here's what I would say to all my joy-sucking mm. Christian historians. <laughs> Why does it matter what it used to be? We don't know when Jesus was born, but we do celebrate his birth. Yeah. And so guess what happened? Christianity conquered paganism. And so they took the pagan holiday and they celebrated Jesus. What the heck is wrong with that? I yeah. do not understand, right? Um, you know, I, I just... For the love of God, people, this is why nobody wants to be a Christian because you suck the joy out of everything in life. Mm. And Jesus was a happy person. Jesus is a loving person. God's a loving person. He's a happy person. And part of the reason people won't consider Christianity is many religious people are miserable. And why on earth would they want to be like you where you're running around, you know, opposing uh, Jehovah Witnesses' birthday parties. And it's just like, you know, it's just, it's just asinine. It's mm. absolutely asinine. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, Philippians says. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. David danced before the Lord. Christians are supposed to celebrate. And why wouldn't we celebrate the birth of Christ? They needed a day. There was a pagan holiday. Nobody's worshiping pagans anymore. They're worshiping Christianity. No, it's not a perfect transition. It never is. Get over it. Move on. We have no idea what day Jesus was born. Yes, it has become a more significant holiday um, over the years, but who cares? So what you're saying is you're opposed to celebrating Jesus in a more significant manner over time? I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why on earth you would oppose that. And any Christian or church that's decided to attack Christmas, I, okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to your church. Yeah. I am not going got, to got your nothing. church. You got guys nothing. are probably a bunch of miserable people that, again, whatever is good, honorable, and true, focus on these things. Is celebrating the birth of Jesus good, 
honorable, true? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Yes, 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 right? Yes, it's all of those things. And so we have Christians attacking that which is good, honorable, and true, holy, whatever. And because it's this and a Christmas treatment, okay. Yeah. Well, I think there's beauty too. I imagine it was maybe similar then, but like that Christmas in our culture, everyone celebrates, whether you're Christian or not. I think there's opportunity for us to interject like, hey, like here's what our faith says about this. Like it's an opportunity there. Well, can you imagine I'm not going to a Christian party? Why? I'm a Christian. And I believe it's a pagan holiday. Right. All right, buddy, That's... get out of my way. I'm having eggnog and I'm not going to listen to you and your joyous salvation experience. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. Yeah. You know, Muslims will go to a Christmas party. Because they know it's I a good Christians, time. I think Christians could. It's a great time. Go and have a good time. And, you know, I'm not talking about go and get drunk or, or go and be stupid, but go and celebrate the birth of Christ. And it's an opportunity for you to talk about the second greatest event in human history. Mm. God becoming a human being. The first greatest event is Jesus Christ rising from the dead. That's yeah. that's that's the game changer, which ultimately makes his birth even more important. And and we have the opportunity to talk about his birth and his death, which is his life, which he gave for us. And so, yeah, again, I'm sorry. They're just, I, I feel like they're just Christians that just are miserable people mm-hmm. and religion doesn't change them. It doesn't yeah. help them. And this is what I would say. If you're a Christian and you're miserable, why would I want to accept your Jesus? Life is already hard enough. I don't need any more misery. I don't need any more depression. I, I don't need right. any more of that. Right. What I need is to hear the good news. Yeah. Right? It's good news. That that is the gospel. The gospel means good news. Right? And that's Christmas. So I'm so sorry. You know, there is some historical evidence there that is accurate, but it just doesn't matter because for the last 18, 1700 years, we've been celebrating it as Christ's birthday. Yeah. So, all right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year. If you're listening around the holidays, yeah, Feliz Navidad. I think Christmas is about six months away uh, yeah. as of a couple yeah. days ago. So. Great question. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, I feel like so many Christians want Christianity to be a Jeopardy episode where they just have this little nuance or this kind little Kind of looking weird, for things to pick apart. Yeah, to yeah. throw you off and steal your joy, right, you right. know? Make I you mean, question. It's, it's like some churches, you know, they they won't let any uh, instruments in church on Sundays because there's no instruments mentioned in the New Testament. And I'm just like, ah, oh. but there are yeah. in the Old Testament. Like, well, that's the Old Testament. And I'm just like, right. you guys, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Thanks. So. Thanks for those words. Yeah, that's, I got a little okay. frustrated. It's okay. It's okay. I, I, I love. I love and have tremendous amounts of grace for non-Christians. Christians, you guys push me to the limits of my mm, faith. The limits. He is literally grabbing onto the table. He, right? he, he, those of you on YouTube, there's he's probably gonna gripping. Be, there's gonna, those people gonna scoot away. You know, because we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. Some of those people are going to be in heaven. I feel like we shouldn't celebrate because not the actual day. Well, like we'll pray for them. And Jesus is like, get over yourself. Exactly. Well, Robert writes in. Uh, shifting gears a bit. His brother is having difficulty with surrendering his life to Jesus. One question I didn't know how to respond to was him asking, if I'm going to hell for not believing in Jesus, then why did he create me? He adds, I would rather have not been born in the first place. Yeah, so there's your brother's argument is really tackled in Job and God doesn't care what your brother thinks. God didn't make him because uh, your, your brother wanted to be born. God made your brother because he wanted your brother to be born. God made your brother for relationship with him. So here's what hell is. Hell is eternity apart from God. And your Mm. brother gets to choose whether he wants to spend eternity with God or without God. And God will let him choose. Mm. So, um, so, so, you know, maybe you could send another question in, but what your brother's really upset about is that God lets him choose and then holds him accountable for his choice. And so that's the amazing thing about modern liberal culture is we all want the freedom to choose, but nobody wants the freedom of consequence. Yeah. Right, and that's what happens when you make choices. There are consequences, and so in our culture, right, we don't want there to be any consequences, mm-hmm. but there are. Yeah, and eternally there are, and so um, yeah. So again, your brother's issue is not just that; it's the issue of God being God. So worship is not. I I, I get to completely understand God and have God make sense to me. Right. Worship is wow, God is awesome, and I'm going to trust Him and love Him no matter what. Right. So, and He is good. I think that there's, there's yeah. a great case to be made there for the fact that he's good. But ultimately, I don't see how God allowing us to choose is a bad thing. Yeah. I would say in my life too, I have at times wrestled with, you know, why, why is this the way it is? Why does God allow this? What, and what has helped me in this kind of way, it helped me to be a tiny bit philosoph- philosophical and thinking, 
I, my mind doesn't work like God's does in reading that mm-hmm. verse that, you know, my, my thoughts are, his thoughts are higher than mine. Mm-hmm. When we philosophically understand at a fundamental level, I don't think the way he thinks. And mm-hmm. so he, his, his, his works and the way he operates doesn't need to fit into my, you know, my mind and, and, and my neatly packaged, you know, areas of thought, like it just doesn't happen. And so if I expect that it should, mm-hmm. that's where anxiety comes. That's where disappointment comes. And ultimately the frustration of, you know, life in, in, mm-hmm. in the world. So knowing his thoughts are not my thoughts. And that, that kind of puts to rest a lot of the kind of the why questions is, man, God has a better way, a better plan. And it's, it doesn't have to make sense to me for it to be right. true. <laughs> and, and I would say this though, that I think what God has done is reasonable. I think it's reasonable to assume mm. we could, we should be able to choose yeah. not whether or not we are created. That's mm-hmm. God's choice. Our choice is whether or not as a creation, we get to spend eternity with God. Mm. That, that's our choice. So, <laughs> so really what he's frustrated at is he's not God. It's not that he's frustrated at God. It's he's frustrated that he's not God and he doesn't get to choose the entire thing. And if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you do not get to choose the whole thing. So it's not just a matter of it not always making sense. It's a matter of submitting to the choice and authority of God. And he has chosen to allow you to choose. Yeah. You did not get to choose whether or not you were born. No one does. Mm. We get to choose whether or not we live forever with God or without God. Yeah. That is the choice that we have been given. Mm. And, you know, again, we live in a culture that doesn't like forced choices. Mm. Well, guess what? We don't live in a religious culture. We live in a secular culture that says you get to do whatever you want without consequence. That's not reality, mm-hmm. but it is our culture. So it's a tough thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And that's going to be the biggest problem facing many young non-Christians and many Christians is we've been raised in a culture where we get to do whatever we want and there's never a consequence. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that may be American culture, but that's not Christ's culture. Oh, there are good, consequences man. for your choices. That's great. I someone used to say this: you can choose your choices, but you can't choose your consequences. Oh, yeah. right. We'll ring the bell for him. Yeah, yeah. maybe Whoever it was me. No, yeah, I've heard you say that, but I've think... said it, but I heard it somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> I was. You can choose your choices in life, but you cannot choose your consequences. Man, mm. so truth. That is true. All right. This next question comes in from anonymous, and they ask, "Why do we read the Old Testament if it does not apply to us anymore? <laughs> what is the relevance of it if we are under the New Covenant that's in the, that's mentioned in the New Testament?" Yeah, so, okay, <laughs> Jesus was Jewish, and there's a reason, because the Jews got a lot of things right, and we need to try to figure out what those things are. Now, no Christian organization is ever going to agree on everything. Um, I've said this many, many times. We don't have to be Jewish to follow Jesus, but we do need to understand Jewish culture, Jewish laws, and, and Jewish things, because they create a moral framework for us to understand our faith. So Christianity is really built upon the moral framework of the Jewish understanding of God. Now, some of those things are heightened, more explained, uh, some of them are, are are specifically said, you don't have to do those things. So, you know, for example, one might read the Old Testament and it says that uh, a young boy, Jewish boy must be circumcised on the eighth day. The apostle Paul says, no, you don't have to. So one of the ways, how do we know what we do and don't do is when Paul says, don't do it, don't do it. And what I tend to believe is the things that aren't discussed are usually uh, approved and agreed upon. Mm. So, uh, like one of the issues, why doesn't Jesus ever talk about the issue of homosexuality? It was not something that the Jews were wrong on. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't address it. It doesn't have to be addressed until they get to the Gentiles who are confused on the subject. And <laughs> right. then when you get to the Gentile cities, in almost every letter it's, it's mentioned, addressed. Mm-hmm. and don't do it. Mm-hmm. This is not God's will for your life. But it is not until they get outside of the Jewish context. And so, you know, there's a lot to learn from the Jews. You know, without the Jews, we don't have Psalms. We don't understand uh, creation. We don't understand the law, the prophets. We need those people. God, the book of Hebrews says God spoke through us to those people. So we need to understand what they had to say. Mm-hmm. And then in the last days, Hebrews says God has spoken to us through his son. So God has spoken to us through both. And um, that's why we need it. And so, you know, yes, we live under a new covenant, but all the covenant is, it's how are we right with God? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean how do, how do we, it doesn't answer all the ways that we must live, how we relate to each other, you know, what we should do. We need to have many of the Hebrew scriptures because they answer so much of that. Mm-hmm. And also there's greater depth in there for understanding of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, much of the early church would have preached solely from the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible because they did not have the New Testament for a period of time. They would have had, if they were wealthy, they would have had scrolls 
And if they weren't, they would have had stories. That's the way that they learned. So um, I think that it's very, very important that we honor the Jewish scriptures, mm. that we appreciate them, because after all, it was the Jewish prophets, it was the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that foretold the coming of Christ. So mm. why would why on earth would we do away with the people that said he's coming? There's wisdom there. There's yeah. also stuff that we know in the Hebrew Bible, for example, things about heaven that we don't have in the New Testament. If we don't have Isaiah, the prophet, we don't have a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. Mm. Now you get a little bit of that in Revelation, but you get a fuller picture of it in Isaiah. And, um, you know, we're not gonna live in heaven forever. We're gonna live on the new earth where, and here's the miracle of all creation. It's not that we go to heaven to be with God. It's that God is going to come and be with us forever. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign with us forever. And the government will be on his shoulders. We will call him the Prince of Peace, Mighty Counselor, Almighty God, right? He's gonna be those things. Mm -hmm. Our frustrations of government and leadership, all of those things are gonna disappear because his rule, his reign will be righteous and true. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's what we're looking for ultimately is those people that wanna live with God on, ever, on earth forever with him and those people who wanna live not wherever they go. And, you know, we don't know space, time, where all of that is. There's all kinds of descriptive languages like fire, the bottomless pit, darkness, the place of weeping. And none of it's positive. That doesn't sound good. So wherever it is. Not good. Not good. Because it's outside of the rule, reign, and authority of God. So we mm. want to be with God forever. Yeah. It almost sounds like you're saying the Old Testament and its relevance actually adds to and, and makes the New Testament a more beautiful place for us to be yeah. today. Like, for example, I, I do not understand financial stewardship without the Old Testament. So I'm a tither. And so some people say, well, that's Old Testament and not New Testament. Now, so let me give you real quickly why I tithe. Because this guy named Melchizedek starts it. So it predates the law. Mm -hmm. So Melchizedek starts it. Moses commands it. Malachi says God blesses it. Jesus affirms it in Matthew 23. Paul assumes it in his writings mm. and the church needs it. So it helps me <laughs> to decide how much I'm going to give each week to the church. Yeah. And I can't do all of that simply based upon give as you feel led. Because guess what, people? Most of you are going to feel led not to give. Right. Right. And if you don't understand your heart, you don't know Jesus. So I've got to understand that for me, obedience starts at giving 10%. Why? Mm -hmm. Melchizedek started, Moses commanded, God blesses it, Malachi 3, why? I want, my, I want to be blessed. Yeah. And, I believe God, and I believe God has blessed me. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus affirmed it, Matthew 23, Paul assumes it as he talks about how do, how do pastors get paid? He equates my job to Levitical priests. Mm. How are the priests paid? Through the tithe. Through the tithe. Yeah. And so the assumption, so again, and I don't want to get into a big debate on the tithe. It's just, I, I can't come to the right decision if I divorce myself from all teachings in the Old Testament. Mm. Now, I can't come to a conclusion that denies the truth of New Testament. For example, we don't make people tithe at sandals. Why? That violates the law of grace. But that doesn't help me develop a spirit of giving. So I don't want to violate the law of grace according to the New Testament. I don't want to uh, deny a spirit of giving according to the Old Testament. And so I've got to come together and bring those things together. And, um, you know, all early Christians and historically Christians have saw the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament Bible as one book. That's mm -hmm. why we call it the Bible. It's not two separate books, it's one book. It's actually 66 books written over thousands of years by literally multiple authors, but it's one contiguous, amazing mm -hmm. thing pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so do not dismiss the Old Testament. Yeah. It's beautiful. I love it right now. I'm in the book of Psalms and I, I love it every day. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I started a Bible reading plan at the beginning of this year and it started in yeah. Genesis and just working through, even getting to the books I was afraid of, yeah. Leviticus, Numbers, yeah. just seeing the power of God, the holiness of God in those, yeah. it really allowed me to know him in a deeper way, in a yeah, more full I, I way. I think in a healthy way, here's how I would describe it, is the New Testament teaches you God's love. The Old Testament teaches you God's awe. Mm. And if you don't have both, you're gonna be a delusional, disformed Christian. Yeah. You must both have the fear of God and the love of God in your heart. You need both of those legs to walk out your faith. Otherwise, you're crooked. Mm. That's so you gotta have both. Yeah, both wow. those legs. Mm. Say that again, both of the legs of... You gotta, have, you gotta have... To walk out your faith. Yeah, in order to walk out your Christian faith, you have to have the New Testament's love of God in your mm -hmm. heart and you have to have the Old Testament's fear of God in your mm -hmm. heart. And if you don't have both of those legs, you are not going to walk a great life. And Christians, yeah. I see Christians sin all the time that talk all about God's love. They're one-legged Christians. 
Mm. They do not have the other side, which is the awe and fear of God. And that's that's what causes you to walk straight, love and yeah. awe, love and awe. And, uh, and vice versa, if you only have fear and you don't know God's love, you're just afraid and, and can't do anything. Yeah, not walking so at all. You need both. Yeah, that's awesome. So Alan writes in, uh, Alan says, why does God need an army if he's all powerful? Pastor Matt has mentioned before that Jesus is the head of God's army. Was this figurative? Yeah, we don't know. So, so God literally has angels. I mean, Jesus says that there are thousands of angels that at God's word, they will come to his aid. But I think that, right, so in the Old Testament, how does one understand power? They cannot understand power in one. So how did the ancient world understand power? It was in the size, power, and swiftness of the army. So how does God move? He moves with a large, powerful, and swift army. And so we see that. And so um, that's just, that is a human way of understanding the power of God because God didn't take an army to create the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence, right? Uh, The final battle. I mean, Jesus shows up, right? They're all pretty, they all look good but he speaks and it's over, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to me, I'd be like, do we have to get dressed up? Because we we're all gonna, all gonna show yeah. up and gonna I'm gonna put quick. my uniform on and- He's just gonna do you're it gonna, all. You're gonna speak. Yeah. Why don't we just, you know, yeah. but I mean, God loves pageantry, right? I mean, he loves He's, the process. I mean, yeah, he does. He does. And um, uh, I mean, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a camel. God loves the pageantry. He loves the story. Like mm-hmm. he, he loves that stuff. And so I think that's where we get our creativity, our artistic nature, our storytelling. I mean, those are attributes of God that he's placed in us. Mm-hmm. And um, so God loves that stuff. So, so I mean, God has fierce angels at his right side, um, but he created them. Hmm. I mean, so, so does God need an army? No, but he can manifest it out of nothing. Okay, so why is America the most powerful nation on earth? And a lot of people think America's not, they are. America can manifest strength across the globe. No other power can do that. Mm. China does not manifest strength in Europe. They do not manifest strength, you know, in the Gulf. They don't man, I mean, no matter where you go in the world, America's force is there because they've manifest an army that is global. And so that's what we're trying to understand about God is God's army can get wherever you are. Mm. So, so, Right, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, which was, you know, we'd be like now, some trust in nuclear bombs and some trust in a great air force, but we will trust in the Lord our God because yeah. Israel never had the greatest army no. ever. <laughs> yeah. They were shepherds, right? Chasing sheep, whacking them with sticks. Yep. That, that's who they were. Um, and yet they won all the and time. And they won all the time. I mean, the look, at the, look at, there's a new movie coming out in 1967. Israel was overmatched, outgunned like 10 to one and they won. There's no reason Israel should exist today. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Syria, Jordan, uh, Iraq, and Egypt. Man. All attacked them. So, I mean, right? Doesn't make any yeah. sense. No. Without the Lord. And they did. Yeah. So, it's crazy. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps up our, you know, but why section. We have one off-topic question that came in this week. I'm really excited for this um, one. That no, no, just sort of threw me for a loop. No, so I decided we're going we're gonna to get this right before Pastor Matt. Um, it is going to need the definition of one word, which we'll get to at the end there. But okay, so Ian writes in and says, I've run across several sites offering after, after the rapture pet care. Let's pause for a minute. So first, what is the rapture? This is a real question. This is a real we'll question. Just go with us on this. So the first part is what's the rapture? Right. Well, shoot, I should have looked up the Greek word. So what it means is to be caught up, but there's an actual mm-hmm. Greek word that occurs, I believe, three times in scripture. Uh, and so it, it literally translates mean to be caught up. And so it's to be pulled up into the air. So mm-hmm. it is in Acts, uh, I can't remember what chapter, but it's when uh, Philip is caught up in the air by the Holy Spirit and taken somewhere else. He was mm-hmm. raptured. That's the Latin word, which we translate, um, shoot, I should know the Greek word and it's not coming to me. So the, so the Latin word is, is rapture or rapturo. Um, and uh, the English phrase is to be caught up or mm. to be taken. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that when Christ returns, we will be caught up into the air mm-hmm. with him, which I believe all Christians believe that. Some Christians believe that we're caught up into the air with him. And then there is a tribulation that is to be taken out. So just know this, Christians do not agree. And I don't care what church you go to, not all Christians agree on what happens after that. Here's what all Christians agree on. Jesus Christ will return in bodily form and he will rule and he will reign and he will judge us. That's what you must believe to be a Christian. Other than that, enjoy. There you okay. go. So that defini- definition out of the way. 
this guy's run across several sites, and we actually did some research, and these sites these do are real exist. Sites. These, these are real sites. These are real sites. Real places Basically, on the Basically, they're services run by Christians who have hired their non-Christian friends to go around picking up and taking care of their pets after the rapture occurs and their Christian owners are taken away. For a price, they will add your pets to their database so that they won't starve to death or whatever after you've vanished in the rapture. He asks, assuming these sites are trustworthy, they're, and he puts in parentheses, they're probably not, is it okay to purchase a service like this? Okay, this is, this is why... <clears throat> This is why atheists think we're the stupidest people on earth. I want to honor his question, but I'm okay. I'm listen, just, I'm fighting the no. Okay, no. Listen, except that they actually exist. Yeah, they so, really listen do. Listen to me. Statistics have now been proven. This is how deformed we are as Americans, literally mentally. That when they survey young people and they say, "If a human is drowning, right, or your pet is drowning, mm. who will you try to help?" Most young people today say their pet. Wow. Now look, Fido's great, but you you have a completely skewed yeah, biblical understanding of who humans are and who pets are. Listen to me. When the rapture happens, who the heck cares? If it happens that way, what happens to your dog? Mm. Look, you can eat my dog if you're still here and hopefully, you know. Oh, and, my dog's yeah, big. Yeah, she's big. She'll be a couple meals. <laughs> look, man, yeah, you are just so focused on the wrong things. That sounds like you're getting scammed. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you want to give your money to that, give me a thousand dollars and I'll name a star after you in mm. your name. Okay, I'll point it yeah. up and we'll, you know, we'll call it Tall Tim. So yeah, guys, <laughs> the brightest this, star in the this is just absolute silliness. It borders on hysteria. Mm. It is absolutely ridiculous and insane. And I apologize on behalf of Jesus. This is crazy, mm. absolutely crazy. I mean, selling basically insurance based upon right. the belief that your understanding of eschatology is absolutely 100% correct. I mean, Martin Luther, man, the, the, really the, the, the originator of the, the uh, Protestant movement wouldn't even write a commentary on Revelation because mm. he was so confusing. And so these yeah. people that, you know, look, there's just different opinions and we don't know. And that's just ridiculous, man. If you're trusting Jesus with your soul, can we trust him with your pet, please? Hey, my amen. gosh. Ring, ring, that, ring the bell. My gosh. How do you even pay for and that? And by the way, service. Jesus Christ did not come to save dogs and cats. He came to save. And I get that you love your pet. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, how disobedient are you as a Christian if your worry in the rapture is your pet? I'm worried about you yeah. and the conversation you're having with Jesus about your priorities on earth as you were here. Yeah. Okay. Because the apostle Paul and I'm sure people love their pets back then. Apostle yeah. Paul is not addressing the future of your animal. Right. Would Christ return? I mean, it's just, I, man, if you're a Christian and you've never heard of this, thank you for you. You're normal. <laughs> man, this is, this is real. This is real. I'm we did not going to be able to sleep. Ever, there was apparently one that came out a while ago that was a hoax. Like they were making oh. fun of some doomsdayers who said that oh. the end of the world oh. was coming. But then real ones started to come up out of that idea. So you can actually Google it and find them. And that's I was like, oh, this must just be a joke. But there were actual services. Yeah. I'm like, ah, yeah. Hey guys, it. get off the internet and get in your Bible. Please. Amen. Praise the Lord. And there's two really great animated movies that prove that all dogs go to heaven. So mm. just oh. just in case there you guys are worried. Yeah. They made a second one. They made a sequel after the first one. Right, right, right. <laughs> Alrighty, well, oh, thank man. you guys so much for joining us for this week's episode. If you want to see the show notes, those are on our website at debrief.show. You can find those there. You can find links to this episode on YouTube. We would love to have you watch there. And you can also follow us on Debrief Show on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. You can also support Sandals Church and the Debrief by uh, texting in Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. Um, we would love to have you listen in there. We've got one more. I gotta go. Okay. I love you. It's a wrap. It's a, it's a wrap. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sorry. guys.